Hey everyone, before we get to the episode, I'd like to share a little word with you from our sponsors, Odds Crowd. Are you the best football better in the United States? At Odds Crowds, our friends are challenging you to prove it this fantasy season with their epic free-to-play fantasy betting contests. One of my favorite things to do is be betting and not actually have to lose any actual cash. There's over $30,000 in cash prizes up for grabs, both season-long and weekly contests on NFL and college football. Here's how it works. Once you enter a contest, you place risk-free fantasy bets against real odds and lines, much like you would with any pick tracking app. The most profitable players are rising up the leaderboard. If you have the highest profit at the end of the contest, you win. And Odds Crowd isn't just fantasy betting contests. It's a social app for sports bettors. Free to download, you can live group chat with other bettors, track your bets, and set up private fantasy contests with your buddies and much more. So download the app for free or go to oddscrowd.com. another intro and episode of Rookie on the Rise. Ladies and gentlemen, I have been a little dormant for a little bit. A lot of it was because I went to Disneyland for about six days. It was fantastic. Uh, but when I'm back, I'm here and it's time to dive into some of those really difficult situations we face in a rookie draft. Primarily between like two players that are eerily kind of similar, different, a little bit different, different profiles, different expectations. And then I thought, who better to come here and talk about these really difficult situations that my buddy, Abby. Abby, how are we doing today, my man? Hey, man. Britt, I'm so excited to be back on Rookie on the Rise. It has been, what, a year? Last year we were talking Javante, and uh, I missed you, man. I'm, I'm so uh, excited that we're hopping onto the pod and getting a chance to talk about, you know, honestly, some really hard problems in, in deciphering the 2022 class. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. You, by the way, you guys can reach Abby at real, A-B-H-I Gupta, G-U-P-T-A on Twitter. You can find his content on his own company on the YouTube, Z Breakout. You can find him on YouTube and wherever you find your podcasts. And you're also on TikTok, Abby. That's got to be kind of fun. I'm going to tap in if I ever get a TikTok. I just I, yeah. I can't get on that. <laughs> I can't get into it. I can't. I refuse. Hey, Although it'd probably hey, let be really my, let my content be your your, uh, your your gateway into the TikTok world. <laughs> I have no problem taking that jump with you. So before we dive into our two-player breakdown battle, positional, however you want to frame it and talk about it, we always do question the show, baby. What are you known for amongst your friend group? I would have to say I'm I'm either the comedian or the troll. Um, I'm the guy who's, you know, always making jokes. Um, I'm uh, sometimes... For you know, for the betterment of the group, sometimes for um, you know a little bit of uh, annoyance, but uh, you can always find me laughing, making fun of stuff, and uh, just having a good time. <laughs> you know, I think that's fantastic. That's uh, that sounds like a really, really good sort of niche to be a part of in your group. Everyone needs sort of that in their life, right? All right, so I'm sure most of you guys are a little bit interested and probably concerned about who we're going to talk about because there's just so many battles we can talk about. Uh, and no, it's not Wandale Robinson versus Christian Watson because it just would be a really boring conversation. 
of me slamming Christian Watson every single chance I get. It's now Christian Dookie Watson, by the way. If you guys don't know why, go listen to Paul Bercy or Becerra's episode with me, and you get a really beautiful rant about him. But uh, we're not here to talk about them. We're here about Chris Olave versus Sky Moore. Positionally, we're talking about like wide receiver six versus wide receiver seven. It may have changed, or yeah, wide receiver five against wide receiver six, I think. It may have changed a little bit. I'll double check that. But uh, we're going to talk about who we think should go first in a rookie draft. So we're going to start with Olave. We'll come back to Sky and we'll kind of talk about their dueling profiles, et cetera. So for you, Abi, where are you at with Chris Olave? Well, I have a love-hate relationship with Chris Olave. The love relationship is that I'm a Buckeyes fan, so of course I love Chris Olave. The hate relationship is the fact that he didn't declare last year. And so what that really has done for me as a guy who, you know, is a data scientist and is uh, in his day job, uh, is someone who loves thinking about numbers, I'm always looking for data to help me understand, uh, you know, how we can classify guys. Now, I'm not one of those pure analytics guys. I'm one of these guys who likes to use numbers in context of what the film shows us about players. And with Chris Olave, if you watch him at Ohio State, you watch his film over the last four years, he has done nothing but kick ass. He's a wonderful player, and he's someone who continuously produces year after year after year. But if you look at his profile based on, you know, just some of the core characteristics, I think he weighs like 189 pounds. So let's just say that he's, you know, classify him as under 200 pounds. He declared uh, for college uh, his senior year, so he had four full years in college, and he was drafted in the first round. So if you look at all the receivers that fit all of those three categories uh, from 2009 onwards, this is the list of receivers. Devonta Smith, Kadarius Toney, John Ross, Corey Coleman, Philip Dorsett, Tavon Austin, Kendall Wright, and A.J. Jenkins. So besides Devonta... I don't know if I want any of those receivers on that, you know, that that plate. And and credit here goes to Fusu View uh, on Twitter. He does a really good job of, uh, you know, aggregating these statistics and um, providing you the data context that you need. I think something else that also concerns me about Chris Olave is, you know, uh, the fact that when when you look at his production in relationship to Garrett Wilson and Jas- Jackson Smith and Jigba in the uh, Buckeyes offense, um, he was the elder statesman out of all of those guys. And Garrett Wilson out ate him in that offense. So, you know, it makes sense that you're seeing Garrett Wilson, you know, he was drafted one pick ahead of him. You see him going higher in a lot of these mock drafts based on sleeper ADP. But Chris Olave is, uh, you know, I would have expected him to continue being the elder statesman and the the, the biggest uh, eater, right, on that offense. And he just wasn't that. Now, if you also consider the fact that he went to the Saints, um, you know, there's a lot of opportunity there. But I really wouldn't say that the Saints have a history of drafting a lot of successful wide receivers either. Like, yes, we have like Marquez Colston from, you know, a decade ago, or we have Michael Thomas. But, you know, really besides that, I look at their wide receiver room. There really isn't anybody in there that screams, hey, these guys know what they're doing. This is the first offseason where Sean Payton isn't in that, uh, you know, GM room. He isn't, you know, making those decisions. Most of the time, the Saints do funky things, but we can say, ah, but Sean Payton did it. The same way that we do with the Patriots and, oh, Bill Belichick drafted Cole Strange in the first round. That's weird, but it's Bill Belichick, so whatever. 
Um, we don't have that right now. I'm not really trusting Dennis Allen or Mickey Loomis to like really know, you know, like like there's no football genius behind all of that. And so it just makes me a little worried given the fact that I don't have the track records in either direction that I would like to feel comfortable besides the fact that he was drafted 11th overall. I, I mean, you've hit on a lot of things that I think are really important to talk about regarding Chris Olave's overall profile because you've, I, if you guys listen to the show, you've heard it before. He's a late declarer, and that just means statistically you're in a bin that is not as successful as others. I would push back. I think there's always exceptions when it comes to numbers and things, and I think the only difference is is that I, I do believe if Chris Olave came out last year, he was a first-round He was a first-round pick. So I'm not going to knock him too much for coming back and being another first-round pick this year, right? He probably gave him. He probably bettered himself, you know, ten, eight to ten draft picks coming back a year. And I understand the statistical, just the differences. And I, you guys have heard it before. There is a quite a big difference in terms of top five, top twelve, top twenty-four finishes being a late declare and an early declare. It matters a ton. I just, it's going to be very interesting with Chris Olave. You know, he comes in his freshman year, at age seventeen, and hardly does anything. Then he breaks out his twenty nineteen season, two years removed from college. He has a dominated rating of 24%. He has a yards per team pass number of 2.1 yards per team or yards per route run of 3.38. You know, he had uh, 23% of the team's receiving yards market share, a target share of 18%. Um, he, he was looking, he, he looked good. And then he came back in 2020 and 2020 is a tough year because they only played seven games and he did fantastic in those seven games, but it's hard because you can't ex- extrapolate seven games and pretend that he carried that rate through 14 because that's just not how these things work. Right, you just you, you can't you can't expect that continually. If you did, he'd have a fourteen hundred yard season, and he would be absolutely fucking bananas. So, like, okay, let's just say that he has a another like a, a, a above par year to twenty nineteen. He continually goes up a little bit. Right, twenty twenty one is age twenty season, which is exciting because he's gonna be young and it's always fun. He had a dominator rating of thirty four and a half percent, which is awesome. He had a receiving yards market share of twenty five percent, which is good considering he's playing with Wilson and uh, Jackson Smith and Jigba. He had a yards per team pass depth of 2.07. You know, that's the only issue that I kind of have with his overall profile is like efficiency wise, he wasn't doing the most. And that shows because he's not to be a uber efficient athlete and or receiver or running back. You need to have a little bit of oomph after the catch. And Olave's yards after the catch weren't exactly like leaving you foaming at the mouth, just really excited, loving everything about it. He, he certainly isn't his strong point in his game. He's adept at it. It's just not something he's absolutely fantastic. He had, he's got a career average of 3.7 yards after the catch per reception. Not great, not bad. So let me look at the Saints, right? He's got Michael Thomas, who we don't really know what we're going to get. He is either alive or dead. And he, uh, it's just as likely we get peak Michael Thomas as we get like primo slant boy diva Michael Thomas. We, just, we don't know. They brought in Jarvis Landry, which is going to be fine. It's not a real indicator for Chris Olave. And so what's he going to, he's going to play, you know, mostly at the Z position. Michael Thomas takes X. And so I think there's going to be plenty of opportunity there for him. But again, the cons, as you brought up, are the fact that we just, his profile feels very flourish, you know? And I think that's tough in rookie drafts because there isn't a lot to, motivate you to take him if you just are getting like don't get me wrong it's incredibly valuable to hit on your draft picks and if you can hit on four top 24 finishes we were like 
running wide receiver 18 to 24 compared to like one top 24 and a bunch of non-factor finishes. Like you're going to take the top 24 finishes. It's just, it's tough to kind of sit on that because he's going wide receiver four in like pick seven, right? And now he's going behind, he's going in front of Jamison Williams, which is absolutely a same. Please don't do that. And Christian Watson doesn't matter. And Sky, Sky Moore is coming right after him. And so for you, Abby, Sky Moore, who we're going to talk about next in comparison to Chris Olave, where are you kind of at with him? Because people were, he was kind of floating around that wide receiver seven, wide receiver nine range pre-draft. And then he goes to Kansas City and all of a sudden everyone's sort of getting all besides themselves. So like, where are you kind of sitting now with Sky Moore? Yeah, I feel really uncomfortable with Sky Moore's profile. Um, I think that's that's the best way I can put it. So this week I tweeted out, um, you know, uh, inefficiencies in the market. That's effectively how I look at the the values or the ADPs or or general market sentiment about players. I've generally found that the fantasy football community is like perennially wrong about the values of players, and that's because we overcorrect. Right. We we end up being too sensitive to new information uh, and, uh, you know, we only react to information negatively when there's like something really, really negative. And there there's like a massive overcorrection, like a very classic example kind of related to this conversation is Michael Thomas. Right. Should Michael Thomas be going as the wide receiver 25, uh, according to, you know, keep cut trade ADP? I don't think he's the 25th best receiver. I think he should be taken higher than that. But we have, you know, for instance, taken a player like that and overcorrected to his injury history. Meanwhile, let's come to the Sky, Sky Moore uh, situation. So I don't think that Sky Moore was heavily valued. He was He was very, very undervalued before the draft. And, you know, a lot of analytics people love Sky Moore. And they were saying, hey, Sky Moore is a guy that you should have on your board and you should be looking to draft him no matter what. When you saw him go to the Chiefs, instantaneously I had flashbacks to 2020 with Clyde Edwards-Alaire, right? He's going to the Chiefs. So that means what? He's going to be the next whatever, right? Everyone's like Chiefs equals Hall of Fame player. And the fact of the matter is that, yes, good players playing with Patrick Mahomes will play well, and they will they have a higher probability of hitting their ceiling. But the way the market corrected for the fact that he went to the Chiefs, I, I would say makes me a little sensitive. Do I feel like, you know, in most drafts, right, would I draft Sky Moore 109 overall or 108 or somewhere in that range? The answer is no. I don't think I would really find Sky Moore to be that kind of player. I'd view him as a best case absolute late first round player top of the second type of receiver that I would want to take and um, you know I mentioned Fusu uh, earlier um, uh, when I was talking about Chris Olave uh, he is one of the biggest defenders of, um, of of Sky Moore and and for very very good reasons right but I asked him hey if you feel do you feel like if Sky Moore had gone to any other team besides the Chiefs the market would have corrected for his value and he said probably not which is really what makes me nervous right i want to be drafting players for value i want to be drafting players for you know their projected output and when i look at sky moore's profile i feel nervous about actually um you know like what what the actual floor and ceiling looks like 
I think a good way to summarize the Chris Olave and Sky Moore conundrum is that when you're drafting in any of your drafts in the first round, your only goal should be minimizing risk and chasing ceiling. If your conversation starts with trying to avoid floor, you have already lost. That is not a player you should be going for. So when I look at Chris Olave, I don't feel like anybody's talking about the upside of Chris Olave. They're talking about how he won't hit his floor. With Sky Moore, I feel like a lot of folks are talking about what he could do in that offense. And so you're chasing upside with the you know with the uh, removal of uh, Tyreek Hill from that offense, um, with the fact that you know now you're gonna have Sky Moore, you're gonna have uh, Travis Kelsey, uh, you're gonna have Juju Smith-Schuster, you're gonna have options there but there's no one bell cow so there is you know clear possibility for him to achieve his ceiling but um you know at the 109 position i I make the argument that uh, a player like him you should be trying to cash out on their value right then and there in the draft um if you told me that I could trade the 109 this year, which is Sky Moore, and flip it for a 2023 or a 2024 109, right, just equivalent picks, I would do it. Because I feel like the value of this draft um, is is just inherently a bit lower than other years. I think that's a very interesting theory that I want to come back on and circle on is like the 109 of 109s. Um, because I think you have, there's a little legs to that, but I also think I, there's something I want to push back on. But so... I, I hear, I was talking with Jacob Sanderson uh, on a previous episode, and we were talking about Sky Moore, and we both, we're both big fans of Sky Moore, uh, mostly because, you know, this is his third year playing a wide receiver, and he broke out his freshman year being a cornerback convert, and like, just that sort of potential is extremely incentivizing, right? And we're just going, like, just going strictly off of draft success hit rates, after 106, 107, you're dropping off a cliff you're at like sub 30% anyway. So like you said, there's no, there's a advantage to pivoting off of the allure and upside of, of someone like Sky Moore since he's being boosted from Kansas city to kind of recoup value. I don't know if going back, slipping back one or nine to one or nine would be what I would want, but like, it's impossible to tell that right now. Right. And that's like, it's a, I would rather take a player this year than an unknown next year, just because it's like that family guy gif of, I can have a boat. Or this really cool mystery box. What's the box? Oh my god, it could be so cool, right? So like, I, I totally understand. I think that's a big pitfall for most fantasy managers. But unfortunately, Sky Moore went to Kansas City, and me and Jacob were both saying we just we we sort of want him to go to a mediocre spot because then you can get him at a much better value. I, I don't think Sky Moore, his profile is an issue. He's an early declare. He has over two, almost 2,500 total yards at Michigan State University. You know, his breakout year, he was 2019. He had a 25.6% receiving yard market share. He had a yards per round one of 1.94, a career high of 2.51. In 2021, he played 12 games, had a receiving yards market share of 27.4, yards, receiving yards per team pass attempt of 2.33, he had a dominant rating of 29.8. You know, he was doing all these things. He was hitting the metrics that are important. He's an early declarer from a Mac school, which is very, very impressive as well, just because you don't really see that. He's got a career average of receiving yards per team pass attempt of 2.2. And if you guys listen to Standing on an Anthill with Jake Estes, he talked about how career averages are really what you want to be focusing on with profiles instead of single best years because it gives you a better holistic approach, and which is sort of why he's down on Jameson Williams, which that's a very difficult profile to, to 
understand and to kind of project because of how unique it is, right? And so while I agree with you that Sky Moore is sort of at his value apex in the draft, which is difficult because you don't you want to avoid just in theory drafting your rookie or you're drafting a person like where their apex is right now, right? I'm curious though, do you think that Sky Moore has the ability to sort of play that running back or not running back, that wide receiver two role, you know, like not necessarily being a Tyreek Hill mold. It's going to be an interesting, it's going to be a different offense. We're probably going to keep it still relatively close to the line, do a bunch of underneath fun things like that, like they did last year. But do you think Sky Moore has the ability to return to like be a serviceable fantasy football player for you? Aside from the fact that you're having to probably reach a little bit on him just from an overall upside standpoint. Yeah, 100%. I think what I want to call out specifically is um, the difference between the player profile and the player value. The player profile I, I like very much. Everything that you just talked about is the reason that I, I felt uh, very uh, excited by his profile coming into the NFL. The fact that he's going, you know, ninth overall as the fourth or fifth wide receiver off of the board does make me a little bit nervous um, because that is not how I projected that profile to come out and, and land in, in Dynasty um, based based on sleeper, he's wide receiver seven, and Chris Olave's wide receiver four. Interesting. Okay, so I thought in, that was interesting too because I thought it was I thought it was a little closer. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. That's interesting. So I'm actually basing my data points off of a few rookie drafts that I've already had in a, in a couple of different leagues. And uh, he has, uh, Sky Moore has consistently gone 108, 109, and Chris Olave has consistently gone uh, 106, 107, uh, somewhere in that range. So very clearly, uh, Olave is above Sky Moore in, you know, both of these league economies. Uh, but Sky Moore is, um, you know, in my opinion, the better profile, uh, you know, all things said. Now, coming back to your question of like, do I feel like A, he can be, you know, a serviceable wide receiver too, and B, do I feel like he can be a fantasy producer for me? Uh, hell yes. I, I, I still believe both of those things are possible. And in fact, I can totally see Sky Moore becoming the wide receiver one uh, in, you know, the Chiefs offense down the road. Do I really view Juju Smith-Schuster as a wide receiver one on any team? No, not really. I actually feel like Juju fits more of a wide receiver two type profile, and that is where we've seen him really, really succeed when teams have asked him to be, the, when the Steelers specifically had asked him to be the wide receiver one. Uh, I think we did see a dip in production, and so that, that indicates to us that, like, okay, he's a good player, but, um, you know, he he is going to have diminished returns uh, if he is assuming that top receiver role. Sky Moore 100% has the capability, and uh, it's in his range of outcomes to supersede Juju in the next three years and become the top receiver in that offense. I, I agree. So what it comes down to then is because Chris Olave sort of is dinged for a late declare profile, but other than that, it's pretty much spotless, especially given who he's playing against. He's basically played with only first-rounders, in the starting offense in Ohio State, which hats off to them for being so incredible <laughs> in terms of their fucking, um, in terms of their their recruiting. It's like absolutely incredible. So then it comes down to sort of like landing spot for profile, right? I think we both agree that, I mean, their landing spots are almost identical. You can easily give more opportunity day one to Chris Olave over Sky Moore, but I think Sky Moore's profile just analytically speaks more towards what we want to see even though, I mean, this like Chris Olave would 
could be the one profile that sort of bucks that trend of what we've seen since like 2012, I think is how far Jake's gone back. So for you, how much does the landing spot really sway your evaluation of the rookie? Do you care that your rookie produces in year one? I, I Granted, it comes with an opportunity they're seeing. Obviously, you want them to take advantage of the opportunity. But do you prioritize the rookies like Traylon Burks, who's going to be thrust into probably a 25% target share? Or are you okay sort of taking someone like maybe Garrett Wilson, who, you know, is going to be vying for a couple other people or a couple other targets, you know, with Elijah Moore and, and, and Brees Hall and et cetera. Where do you kind of stand on or on valuing the landing spot and the immediate path to value or to opportunities? Yeah, I think that's a great question. Um, I think I've seen a lot of this debate over the last couple of weeks on Twitter, uh, different people arguing different sides of this, you know, uh, equation. For me, it starts with this. Alphas eat. So when I look at players like, um, you know, Garrett Wilson or Traylon Burks, my goal is to understand agnostic of where that player lands. What is his range of outcomes? Where is, is he situation dependent? Is he scheme dependent? If that's the case, that doesn't indicate to me that that player has the talent level of a player that, you know, like Traylon Burks, if he ended up in, in Tennessee or if he ended up in New York or if he ended up in New England or if he ended up in San Francisco or if he ended up in Seattle, like no matter where he ended up, I would have felt confident that he would, you know, I would have more certainty in the type of production he would have. Now, if he ends up in a good landing spot, compared to another prospect that I like as a profile who doesn't end up in a good landing spot, I would obviously prefer the first uh, player. But really the hierarchy goes, landing spot is the least important to me, then uh, player profile, and then player profile plus landing spot. So you need to have the player profile that works out before landing spot even becomes a factor that I consider. Um, now when I now, when I'm looking at players like Sky Moore, I mean, the landing spot is a, a wonderful place, right? I love how where he's ended up. Um, I'm just more so pointing out that, uh, you know, he fits the analytics profile, he fits the landing spot, but it doesn't equal the price that you're having to pay to get him today. I think that's a really good point. So I think we can both agree, like, the swinging factor between these two is that Sky Moore has maybe the be the better alpha profile, but Chris Olave has a better holistic overall profile. However, the the landing spot for them is pretty much relatively even, I would say, just in terms of raw opportunity. I'd be willing to bet that Sky Moore has a better target share than MVS this year, um, just because I don't think MVS is actually <laughs> that good of a player. Maybe just me, but I think Kansas City absolutely just panicked. Um, so I think... The question then comes down to is ADP, right? Chris Olave, according to sleepers, wide receiver four, going about 105, 106. Sky Moore is wide receiver seven, going about 109, 110. So between, let's just say 106 to 109, right? A four spot, three spot difference. Is the little, is the possibility of Sky Moore being an alpha worth it to take him at 109 compared to the consistency that Chris Olave projects to bring you up 106 is it is it really worth it to have Chris Olave to have that stability at 106 sans some super ceiling or is it more worth it to kind of take a shot at a alpha ceiling in Kansas City at the 109 for you yeah I think 
you know, comparing those two, um, the advice that I would give anybody in that position is cash out at 106. Uh, someone likes Chris Olave in your leagues. Uh, hopefully it's not you. Uh, trade that pick to somebody who is going to give you like equivalent value. You know, I've seen some trades where folks have traded like a Kirk Cousins for the 106. Um, and I, that sounds like a really fair deal to me. Like I'm getting uh, a quarterback who, you know, is is fringe tier one based on his play last year, um, but is like very clearly like if I'm a contender giving me the production that I need, he will be starting in the NFL for at least another three years. And Chris Olave, I just don't like the range of outcomes. If I do want to draft a wide receiver, I think between those two choices, Chase Upside and Chasing Sky Moore at like 109 is the better move of those two. Yeah, I think it comes down to also your team build. If you're a contender and you're someone who just needs a consistent flex guy, wide receiver two, wide receiver sort of guy on your team, um, I, I think, first of all, trading out and, dra and trading for a guy like that is definitely pre preferable. But if you're dead set, on a guy like that, and Garrett Wilson's not available, Chris Olave would be the next best option. But if you're rebuilding, if you're someone who's like, I'm, I got a really stable core, I just want to swing for the fences, Sky Moore is 100% that guy at 109. Um, and I think you've been able to see him go a little bit later. So, Avi, I got a couple more questions for us just from the crowd. We are lucky to get a get a little inform, get a little work from Twitter. Thank you guys so much. It's a, it's a rare day I get Twitter questions, so it's, it makes me happy. So the first one is, is uh, which day three wide receivers are you excited excited about and why? Well, I think the answer is none of them, uh, very honestly. Um, you know, like uh, I, I did see some folks talking uh, about, you know, I, I've made a vow that I will not draft a, a wide receiver in my rookie draft after the second round. Um, and, and, you know, that, that passes the sniff test for me. Um, I'm not a huge fan of a lot of these wide receivers um, that are, you know, coming out in the later rounds. Um, I'm going to cheat a little bit with your question, though, and mention that, you know, a player that I really, really do like that plays like a wide receiver but isn't categorized as one is tight end Greg Dolchich out of UCLA. So he was drafted by the Broncos. Um, I, I'm, I'm blanking on what round, but it was round three or after. And I liked him as a kind of raw prospect. He is a good pass catcher. He's not great in the blocking game. In Denver, you have seen that, you know, um, Noah Fant's not there anymore as part of the rust trade. Uh, you have Albert O there, um, who, you know, Twitter's really high on him, but I don't really know how, what he's going to command. I mean, it seems like the front office in Denver and Russ both like this guy. And so he's going to be competing with Albert O. And, uh, you know, in year one, year two, I could see him getting decent volume and production in that offense from, uh, you know, Russ, who, you know, besides Jimmy Graham, I'm not really sure he's ever had, um, you know, a, a pass catching, a reliable pass catching type tight end so if you can grab a guy like Greg Dolchich like you know somewhere in your third round um, I feel like that's a really good place to grab someone who can produce for you like you would expect of a sleeper wide receiver uh, from day three I I agree I think the only other sleeper wide receiver that I think is mildly interesting is Kyle Phillips uh, going to Tennessee as UCLA fifth-year guy Brandon Lejeune absolutely loves him uh, there's a question about Brian Robinson and his impact on the running back room. It's just that's going to take too long to to discuss. So I'll go touch on that um, once we're done recording since Zoom's deciding to be a whole big twat. But uh, who's your – we'll close out with this, Abby. Who's your favorite value in rookie drafts? My favorite value? Uh, it's got to be Malik Willis, man. I mean, uh, you got to look at Malik Willis and, and understand what his – 
uh, player profile would have looked like, right, if he was drafted by the Steelers. If he was drafted by the Steelers, 20th overall, he would have, like, in my mind, clearly been the 101. No one would have even hesitated. Now, that didn't happen, and so I'm not going to play in this fantasy world of if he did. But he has now ended up in Tennessee, where we know that they, if, if he shows any signs of competence, he is going to have that job in a year. They are done with Ryan Tannehill. Malik Willis is really raw. He needs to develop. We don't know what he's going to pan out to. It could be like a Trey Lance type situation. It could be like a Jordan Love type situation where the project doesn't really you know, pan itself out so far. And Malik Willis could be that guy. But if you look at what that offense has done, I think that Malik Willis has a, again, ceiling that is way, way, way higher than a lot of these other quarterbacks, um, you know, across the league. And so I'm seeing him go, you know, top of the second, middle of the second, like that seems like a good place to take a shot on a Malik Willis or a Desmond Ritter. Because I mean, in a lot of my drafts in 2020, Jalen Hurts was, you know, not someone people wanted to touch. And then they, you know, people who grabbed him at the end of the second or uh, top of the third round, right? That bet did pay off. And now, you know, if you had drafted Rager, for instance, in the late first, you would have wished you had just grabbed Jalen Rager, uh, Jalen, uh, Jalen Hurts. But, um, you know, Hindsight is twenty twenty, and uh, you know, kind of given the data that we have, I think taking shots on uh, quarterbacks makes a lot of sense, especially in the second round. I think that that's absolutely correct. I'm very against Team Willis, but I think that's right. I think that the value you can get with Corral or Ritter is exceptional at mid-second. I think that's a great time to take a bet. Um, I think that Willis's upside was the fact that he's a first-round pick and then he could run. He's no longer a first-round pick, and the NFL told us how much they dislike and think that he's incapable of being an NFL quarterback. So just from a standpoint of a third round success rate, it's not great. Um, but I mean, hey, if that's your guy, like that's a good time to take him as in that mid-second round. I won't disagree with that. Uh, just really quickly, Abi, thank you so much for being here, man. I really appreciate it. Um, is there anything you want to plug before Zoom promptly shuts us off? Well, uh, thank you for having me on the show, Britt. I really recommend checking out our channel. It's called The Breakout. Uh, as uh, Britt mentioned at the top of the show, we're on just about every platform. You can catch me on Twitter at RealAbiGupta, and you can check us out on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. We're breaking down players. We're doing analyses. Uh, if you want analytics takes, if you want film takes, if you want cohesive takes, um, you know, we are just aiming to make you smarter football fans and fantasy players. And so if you're here just to understand what the next generation of the NFL looks like. We are doing previews for that in the next couple of weeks. If you're looking for breakdowns about players, you know, uh, uh, much ahead of uh, the drafts in, you know, a given year, we're also breaking down, you know, long lists of players that you should know about going into these drafts so that you're not, you know, scrambling for research on, on draft day. As promised, our last question is basically about Brian Robinson and how it's going to affect Antonio Gibson. Uh, and it, it is a three-pronged, four-pronged approach here. And, and this is what I mean by that is we have Antonio Gibson, you have J.D. McKissick, Jarrett Patterson, and Brian Robinson Jr. Jarrett Patterson is basically washed, unfortunately. It's too bad, but I'd, we, if he mattered, then they wouldn't have taken Brian Robinson Jr., Jenny McKissick, they were fine to let him go, but they didn't. And they brought him back because they realized how cheap he was. So this is the conundrum with Antonio Gibson. You need about 18 touches or to, or a, to get above 15 fantasy points per game, PPR, to be a top 12 back. 
Antonio Gibson was able to do that. He had 18 touches, and I think he got just above 15 points a game. I, a little more, actually, because he didn't play a full 17. Now, that was with a lot of touchdown carries, or uh, red zone carries, and that was with J.D. McKissick sort of sharing nicely with the receptions. So the upside for, Mc, for Gibson was, well, at least he has the lion's share of red zone carries. Right? Remember his rookie season where he scored like 12 touchdowns, and we knew that wasn't reality going into next year, uh, 2021, but we were expecting him to still kind of sustain that heavy goal line rate, right? Well, what does Washington do? The commanders draft a day two running back. And if we know anything, it's that your day two running backs aren't just drafted to be playing special teams. And then Ron Rivera, Riverboat River Ron, comes out and talks about how he wants to kind of use Gibson and Brian Robinson like he did with uh, Jonathan Stewart and uh, D'Angelo Williams, which is essentially a 50-50 fucking split. So even if Ron's a little bit lying, let's just say that Brian Robinson isn't, is a jag, which I mean, I think we can all agree he's a little jaggy, which is fine. Um, but let's just say that Brian Robinson gets 40% to Antonio Gibson's 60% of the carries, okay? So I did a little math because I was talking about this with Matt Flowers, which I, it's really fun. I appreciate Matt kind of coming on and, and challenging my line of thinking. Um, you need 16 touches to be a top 24 back in the NFL, uh, in, in fantasy, excuse me. I think right now I have Antonio Gibson projected for about 13 to 14 touches a game. And that's including receptions as well, because we know he's not going to get receptions because he's J.D. McKissick's, McKissick's going to be kind of using that role. And that's not because Gibson's not a good re- receiver. He's a bad pass blocker. And so now you have Brian Robinson Jr. sharing the carries with Antonio Gibson, which was once Antonio Gibson's selling point. Well, at least he has most of the carries in the offense, which was true. But now he doesn't, because if Riverboat Ron gets what he wants, they're going to share. And then you also happen to have another running back who's got good size in Brian Robinson Jr. So then you can feasibly assume that he's going to share red zone carries as well with Brian Robinson. So now what is Antonio Gibson? He's a fucking between the 20s back, the worst type of back. You don't want, you want running backs that are, that don't play the 80 yards, they play the 20 yards of the field in the red zone. If you're going to have to choose a, a non-workhorse back, that's what you want because you want that touchdown upside of the guys that receive. Well, Gibson isn't going to be a receiver because McKissick is. And he's not going to have a ton of goal line carries because he's going to share with Brian Robinson. So now all of a sudden, he is at best, sans injury to that backfield, because that'll change all this up, a running back 22, running back 24. And like, that's fine. But what you're anticipating from him and expecting from him in the season, you're not going to get. So you need to understand that. And I think there's people still that are, that are seeing what he are hoping what he can't, what he could be and not expecting what he can be. So I think Brian Robinson is a interesting ad. I don't know if I would run out and go and grab him, but he's definitely someone that is that I'd be this cheap enough in rookie draft. So you can just throw a dart. And if you can get 12 carries in that Washington offense, then fuck, maybe you can get a little something. Something. He's definitely got the size of your course. If Gibson gets injured, which we know he has been, so I think that Brad Robinson's a really good handcuff. He's not going to be like the primo handcuff, but he's definitely like a tier two, tier three handcuff in the NFL in terms of like what he can offer you long-term. As always, I really appreciate you guys' time. I know it's valuable. It means a lot that you spend it with me. It really has been very, very touching and exciting just to see everyone's whole outpour of support and love for the show. Um, I was talking to a buddy 
during an NFL draft or a rookie draft, and he said that he was talking to one of his coworkers, and he said that he said, I believe the quote was, "You know, Britt Sanders. Oh man, that is so cool. Um, that had to be one of the coolest things I've heard of in so so long. So if that's you, thank you. You made my entire day, and that was really fucking awesome. Um, but as always, May twenty second is the Devi Summit. It is of utmost importance. I keep bringing this up because it's so close. Debbie's difficult. It's time consuming. It is a whole different beast, but it is so, so fun. And this is a six hour, 12 p.m. to 6 p.m. Just complete and utter knowledge bomb. It is going to cover analytics, mock drafts, rookie buys, sells, freshman buys, freshman sells, strategies, all sorts of things, everything you kind of want and learn and need and yearn for in Debbie. It's the best crash you can ever get for a Debbie draft and just a Debbie in general, and it's going to make you better. It is also going to be a charity event for six hours. All the proceeds are going to go to benefit Ukrainian, uh, the Ukrainian children, refuge, the Ukrainian children, refugees, and all those donations we're going to raise are going to go strictly to their our gear is on Breeding Global. They're going to donate as well all the proceeds of the stuff. You can do that. Um, their hats, their snapbacks, one of the most comfortable hats I've owned. I wouldn't say that if I didn't mean it because I'm a big hat guy. Big fan. Uh, but anyways, I really appreciate you guys being here. It means a lot of me. Please check in with your family. Let them know that you're thinking of them, that they're loved, that they're appreciated. If you have a squabble, squash it. It is not worth it. Nothing is guaranteed tomorrow. And I, I, you hear it a lot, and you don't take it seriously until you experience it. But uh, don't regret not talking to someone because they said something mean or made you mad one day. It's just, it's not worth it. Uh, I appreciate you. I think you're awesome. Do something great for yourself and spoil yourself just a little bit because you deserve it. Overall, it's a podcast. Peace.